Hey friends, it's Melvin. Thanks for tuning into this episode. Here's just a few quick things I wanted to notify you guys about before we get started. First up, very soon, new episodes will be releasing Wednesday mornings rather than Tuesday. So don't panic if you don't see a new episode on Tuesday. Just wait a little longer and you'll see it in your feed. Second, we've introduced a mailbag. Check those show notes and toward the bottom you'll see a mailbag link. You'll then be able to text us any questions you might have about movies, the movie industry, or any movie-slash-Christian-related questions you might have. Then we'll respond in a future episode, so send us your questions now. Up next, Patreon polls, which are available to Patreon supporters at the $3 tier or higher, have been updated. Supporters can now suggest films or shows to be reviewed at the end of each month. The two most liked submissions will become the options for the Patreon poll, so if you want to hear us talk about your favorite movie or show, join our Patreon and start campaigning. And lastly, whether you're a new or long-time listener, please consider writing a review or rating the Cinematic Doctrine podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Apart from financially supporting on Patreon, these are the two most helpful ways to support the show. And that's it. Enjoy the episode. Hi, my name is Melvin, and it's finally spooky season, so let's get a little spooky. Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler... I can't do this. Uh, <laughs> a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Dwayne Dunham's Halloween Town, the perfect movie to start October off with a bang. Or maybe a scream! This movie was chosen by the lovely patrons who support Cinematic Doctrine each month with a small donation. For as little as $3 a month, you too can have an opportunity to vote on a movie I review at the end of each month by heading over to Cinematic Doctrine's Patreon. A link will be available in the show notes. And I have to say, for this being the first month where I'm trying this out, I could not have been happier. I mean, come on, Halloween Town won the first poll? That's really cool. And it was a lot of fun to revisit this Disney Channel classic. Heck, if we're being honest, reviewing any Disney Channel film would be a lot of fun, so maybe I'll keep that filed away for a few future projects. But we're going to talk about Halloween Town, and what better time to talk about Halloween Town than Halloween Time? October is here, folks. It's time to get spooky. Hang up some skeletons, carve a couple pumpkins, and eat pounds upon pounds of candy, because things are going to get a little creepy this October. And it's going to be to die for. So let's get started. What's Halloween Town about? On Halloween, while Marnie Cromwell is arguing with her mother Gwen, the kid's grandmother Aggie comes to visit. She comes bearing gifts from a bottomless bag, which carries loads upon loads of candy, as well as Halloween costumes and ornaments. But Aggie isn't in town for the festivities. No, she's here for something more. As the kids are put to bed, Aggie talks with Gwen while Marnie sneaks into the hallway and overhears Aggie saying, There's something evil happening in Halloween Town, and I need my daughter and granddaughter to join me in fighting against this terrible thing. Gwen refuses, saying she wants to live a normal life as well as provide a normal life for her family. But Aggie reassures her that the Cromwells are anything but normal, and they come from a long lineage of prolific witches, wise spellcasters with status and class. There's no reason to live a normal life when you can live with magic. Overhearing this, Marnie perks up, amazed, shocked, but relieved. She always felt weird, different from everyone else, as she draws endlessly in her notebooks and finds the strangest things the most interesting. And now she understands why. 
But then she overhears her grandmother that if she doesn't learn to be a witch soon, she'll lose any powers she might have and never get them back. Soon, Aggie must leave, heading back home to Halloween Town, but not before Marnie and her siblings sneak out of the house and catch the bus home with Aggie. Little do they know they're on an interplanar bus ride and traveling into the wonderful world of Halloween Town. Halloween Town is rated TVPG, although its original rating when it aired on Disney Channel was TVG. That said, neither the original nor the amended film rating have a detailed certificate, so here's a Melvin certificate. Frightening images and mild violence. Many characters in Halloween Town are all based on creatures from folklore and mythology. You have werewolves, goblins, skeletons, and even pumpkin heads, so that alone could be a little frightening to children. Yet, all of these creatures are performed in nonchalant, casual manners. In other words, they're just random people who live in this town. In fact, the werewolf is a barber, the goblin is a punk teenager, and the skeleton is a cab driver. So, they're not going out of their way to eat or maim anyone. They're just a couple of dudes trying to get by. However, the premise has to do with some sort of evil thing, and that's causing residents of Halloween Town to become a little wacko and crazy. So when that happens, they turn into what you'd typically expect from these kind of creatures. Those moments could be a little spooky for children, so it's important to be ready for that. Also, the evil thing itself could be a little scary to some viewers, but now's about a good time to make clear that this is a really cheesy movie. So there really isn't anything particularly scary in the film. It's just lightweight popcorn fodder. Is, uh, is this thing on? Oh, oh, okay. Uh, popcorn fodder. Uh, more like candy corn fodder. Oh, you're funny. And the mild violence has to do with some of the comedic antics among characters, as well as how the evil thing affects other creatures. Also, since this is a children's film, it's probably important to mention that some of the sibling banter contains name-calling, so be ready for that. Now, before we take a look at Halloween Town, I wanted to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. You can also follow the Facebook page for updates on movie news, upcoming episodes, and my own shenanigans. Also, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, like this one, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated with multiple tiers to choose from, all of which go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. So, Halloween Town is just too pure. It's just too pure. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's like, it's not good, but honestly, that's what makes it good. But it's not that the movie is so bad it's good. It's more like an endearing film. It's the kind of movie that's simply too innocent to be called a bad movie. And no, I'm not looking at Halloween Town with nostalgia glasses. I don't really think I watched this movie growing up. I have vague memories of the commercials for it, and I think I have one memory of being sick from school, so I watched one of the sequels, but even that I barely remember. No, I'm looking at Halloween Town as someone who loves cheesy, innocent films that are more focused on having fun than they are taking anything seriously, and it's a good thing. Trust me. There are some extreme framing issues where characters have a ton of headspace and their chins are cut off by the bottom of the screen, or characters leaning in way too close into a shot or not being focused on appropriately. It's really strange. I would imagine that Dwayne Dunham would have seen these shots as they were happening and went, let's redo that one and give it a few more goes before reviewing the dailies, but they end up in the final product and you'll either scratch your head with confusion or go, aw, that's really cute. For me, it was the latter, and that kept happening over and over. 
There are weird lines of dialogue, not least of which is present in the opening argument between Marnie and her mother, where I was blown away by how easy Marnie got away with some of the things she said to her mom. It wasn't that they were so bad, just that she was back-talking so much and nothing happened. It was just so unrealistic when putting into perspective that their life is supposed to look tame and normal, and yet this child is just outright disrespecting her mother. It's so weird. I couldn't help think of Hereditary when Tony Collette goes absolutely bonkers over the smallest of backtalk from her son and chuckled imagining Tony Collette performing in Halloween Town. I would pay to see that movie. And if I might be so bold, that's not the only comparison I can make between Halloween Town and Hereditary. Goodness, Aggie herself says the power of witchcraft is hereditary itself. Need I say more? But no, we're not here to talk about hereditary, even if I do think the comparisons are uncanny, and I do stand by that to the death, as the season calls. <laughs> no, Halloween Town is good fun, and that's that. I thought it was really fun when Aggie is trying to create a potion and she opens up what looks to be a seasoning box with a mixture of ingredients, all prepared for her to pour into her cauldron. Then later in the film, she's irritated by the end result, making a joke about how store brand is never as good as homemade. And honestly, I connected with that so much. Homemade mac and cheese, for instance, is almost always better than store brand. Now, things like that don't happen all the time. These things where if freaky folklore creatures were both real and docile, what sort of modern conveniences would they embrace? And honestly, I wish there was more of that, and I suppose in some sense there are some jokes like this as Marnie and her siblings interact with other beings, but I guess from my end I just wanted more. But that said, since there's already so few jokes, it makes them even more special, so maybe that was the point. Also, can we talk about practical effects? Apart from all the suits being practical and looking a teensy bit cheesy, there are some pretty neato practical effects here and there. I mentioned a skeleton cab driver. Well, that skeleton was entirely practical effects. In fact, he was more than that. He was an animatronic, and if that isn't Disney magic, I don't know what is. Even Marnie's brother, as he tries to rationalize all monsters in Halloween Town, makes a joke that the skeleton can't really be a skeleton. He must be an animatronic. It's just too clever for its own good. Also, there's one scene involving a fire-breathing hairdryer that was entirely practical, and that alone should be equally frightening and exciting at the same time. But despite all this fun stuff, there's a point when the story stops making sense and nothing seems to matter anymore. Especially during the third act of the film. Like, I would say that if I wasn't already having a fun time with the movie, I would go mad with how dumb things got near the end. And like, I don't mean dumb as a total bad thing, more like, if I had to sit down and really critique this beyond endearment, I think I'd blow a gasket. Some of that may have been the glass of bourbon I had while watching this made-for-TV kids movie, but I'm convinced that it's entirely because the final act made no sense. Like, at all. And it wasn't that I was confused, it was just that it doesn't make any sense. You don't really know what the evil thing's motivation is, or his plan, and while there may be, like, minor dialogue bits that allude to his plan, Let's be real here. He has no plan. He's just supposed to be the big spooky guy in a dark cloak. He's just the bad guy because every story needs a bad guy and that's it. It's just funny. I don't know. This whole film's just funny. But also it's great. I don't know what else to say. But also I kind of do. Watching Halloween Town got me thinking about witchcraft as far as the Bible is concerned. Like, we know we're told as Christians to stay away from witchcraft, sorceries, and divinations, all that sort of thing, and I started to wonder what exactly that meant. When the Lord tells us to steer clear of these things, what defines witchcraft, sorcery, and divination? 
I love a good fantasy novel. I love when characters have immense magic power. I love reading about the conveniences available to using something like telekinesis to retrieve a book from a high shelf. And I think to myself, boy, I wish I could use telekinesis to grab the remote from the table since it's all the way over there. But anyone who is Christian or has grown up in a Christian household has likely heard of those who consider reading a story or watching a movie that contains magic as the same thing as visiting a palm reader or using a pack of tarot cards to tell the future. From my personal experience growing up, our family wasn't bothered by things like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, and we had those BBC adaptions of the Chronicles of Narnia on pretty often, so as I grew up, there wasn't such a stigma around reading, watching, or telling stories where characters used magic. However, we were told never to visit a palm reader or use tarot cards, and a Ouija board was unheard of in our house. And for the most part, should be unheard of anywhere, Ouija boards are just a scam. So growing up, there was a clear distinction between engaging a story where magic was a part of the story and actually dabbling in mysticism. So, the equation was, stories are fine, mysticism is not fine. But watching this movie prompted me to look again. Since the movie is about a family of witches who have magical powers, I couldn't help but go, what is the Bible's definition for witchcraft, and why is it considered sinful? And what's the modern definition of witchcraft, and what makes it feel so different to what we read about in scripture? I looked at Deuteronomy 18, 9-11, which is part of the law that specifically targets sorcery, divination, and necromancy. It speaks about how child sacrifice was a common practice for those who previously lived in the promised land before the Lord gifted the land to the Israelites, and it dictates that the Israelites do not take on these practices. And honestly, anyone in their right mind would agree, don't commit child sacrifice. Easy peasy, got it, I'm already doing that. Don't even have a child yet, even if I wanted to. So, no, I'm not committing child sacrifice, and I don't want to. But the idea here has to do with a combination of what they're doing and why they're doing it. What they're doing is committing atrocities. They're murdering children, their very own children, in sacrifice to false gods. At the time of the Old Testament, sorcery often had to do with concocting potions or mixing drugs and increasing dependence on them. In other words, chasing a high or getting drunk and then interpreting it as something spiritual or divine. Divinations had to do with seeing the future or learning what would be interpreted as special knowledge of the universe, or even something like necromancy, where people would try to control the dead or call upon the dead to communicate with them. All these things are wild, and to make modern comparisons, let's think of it this way. Child sacrifice is as bad as it sounds. It's worship of something that demands a sinfully high payment. Dependence on sorceries through drugs sound a lot like addiction and alcoholism, a real Old Testament opioid crisis. Divination is essentially seeking to see the future rather than depending on the Lord to take care of everything, and necromancy also is as bad as it sounds. It's seeking communication with the dead, perhaps for guidance or wisdom. Now, if you notice, all of these are intertwined. They feed one another. One might sacrifice their child so their visions they have while getting high off a strange concoction brings them a peek into the future and may then seek to confirm this via communication with the dead. But we need to dig into why, and that's probably a lot harder to understand. And yet, it's also easy. All of it is dependence on things that aren't God. God doesn't ask for child sacrifice, so there's your first red flag, and perhaps the most glaring. The Lord speaks against drunkenness and getting high, and sorcery is essentially using that to learn secret things about the universe, rather than praying for guidance or reading scripture for wisdom. Divination, or the means to see the future, shows a lack of trusting the Lord to take care of oneself, 
And necromancy, the act of communicating with the dead or resurrecting the dead, is essentially creating a man-made answer to the human condition of sin and death, rather than depending on the work of Christ Jesus to save one from their sins and taking on their death for them. That last thing is a loaded statement, and for the sake of this episode, I won't dig into it much further than that, but all these actions disagree with what the Lord calls us to do. And while modern Western culture usually ignores anything spiritual for the sake of science, we need to recognize that in Old Testament times, demonic influence seemed far more overt than it does now. An easy picture to understanding this, although not infallible, is the look at C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, where a lot of what the demons do to affect the human world is a small influence in characters, such as laying seeds of bitterness and letting it sprout, rather than, oh, I don't know, demon possession? So yeah, it makes sense that God would say, don't do this thing, because ultimately they're completely antithetical to walking with the Lord. Every single act of magic that's presented here is primarily saying to the Lord, I don't trust the sacrifice you've chosen for me as good enough. I don't trust a sober attitude to be the right way to experience life. I don't trust you to take care of my future. And I don't trust you to save me from death. In other words, everything here is a big slap in the face at God. So how does Halloween Town use magic, and does it look remotely anything like the sort of magic and witchcraft we see in scripture? Well, Halloween Town uses magic to make a stick glow and stop a bad guy from turning everyone insane. It's used to make a joke about a child making a cookie levitate so she can eat it, while someone else turns a lock on a door into a frog. But perhaps most revealing about how magic works in Halloween Town is when Aggie says that all someone must do to use magic is think about something you want and give it to yourself. Despite how innocuous this film is, that's a pretty dumb statement. Especially when we live in a world where what people want are often terrible things, and that's not to say that everything we want is terrible, but I know my own heart, and I know you know your own heart, and there are some things we want that are simply awful. But other than that, the magic in this story is more of a plot device or a story element. So is biblical magic and witchcraft the same as the magic and witchcraft in Halloween Town? No, not really. It may use similar names like magic and sorcery, but none of the magic or sorcery is the same. Sorcery in Halloween Town isn't using a potion to go wild with visions in a drunken haze. It's both visually and practically used like something you'd buy at a store. It's like filling a hand torch with oil, but the torch has power to it. Or in another case, it's having a Mary Poppins-style purse. If anything, the problem comes with the phrase, think about something you want and give it to yourself. And that's not magic, that's just a completely bonkers way to live. Also, a really strange line to have in a kid's movie coming from a nice old grandmother. I think that lands as potentially the most problematic thing in the film, despite my previous statement that it's too pure and innocuous. And it's perhaps the most glaring thing to decide whether or not the depictions of magic and sorcery in this film are healthy or unhealthy. But I don't think that this film would make anyone go out and seek visions by getting high or try and speak with the dead. But let's close this up. Halloween Town has given me far more to talk about than it deserves. It's fun, it's harmless, it's cheesy, it's dumb, it's kind of a fever dream, and hopefully when Disney Plus drops, you can check it out for free from their streaming service. Apart from its charming qualities, there's definitely an interesting conversation to be had here about the use of magic in a story, especially one as overt as this one. And thanks so much to my patron supporters who, if it weren't for them, I would have never reviewed this movie, so again, thank you.
Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Halloween Town, what did you think of it? Do you find this cheesy Disney Channel original as charming as I did, or have you taken off your nostalgia glasses and think this movie is pretty bad? If you're listening on Cinematic Doctrine's website, let me know in a comment below, or shoot me an email to cinematicdoctrine at gmail.com. If you're on Letterboxd, I have a list compiling every movie I've reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with direct links to those episodes, so be sure to check that out and consider following me on Letterboxd for quick, bite-sized reviews on every movie I watch. If you'd like to support the show, jump on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page and be sure to follow for updates on episodes, movie news, and my usual shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review for Cinematic Doctrine on your respective podcast app. And if that's not enough, head on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated with multiple tiers to choose from. All of it will go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. And a special shout out to those who supported the Art House Theater tier. Thank you so much to Mom and Dad. You're the best. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.